Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, we will hear The Lacrimist by Cat Howard, as narrated by Stefan Rudnicki. This work is copyright 2020. Cat Howard is the author of the novels Roses and Rot and the Alex Award-winning An Unkindness of Magicians. Her most recent book is the short fiction collection, A Cathedral of Myth and Bone. Her novella, The End of the Sentence, co-written with Maria Devana Headley, was an NPR Best Book of the Year in 2014, and she was the writer for 18 issues of the Books of Magic for DC Comics. She teaches in the genre writing MFA program at Western Colorado University and currently lives in New Hampshire, where she is working on her next projects. So, stay safe and buckle up. We're going to light speed. The Lacrimist by Cat Howard It is not the dust that brings her tears. The Lacrimist's house is dusty, fragments of time and memory fallen everywhere, a living blanket that drapes itself over tables and chairs and things even stranger. But time and memory are to be expected anywhere the dead gather, and even in this abundance they do not drive her to weeping. Neither is her weeping caused by the voices calling to each other from shadowy ceiling corners, memories still embodied, repeating phrases into the cold air. She likes the voices, has grown used to the syllables echoing about. The voices feel almost like old friends. Nor does she weep over the lack of doors that open into the outside world, although it is true that the lacrimist cannot leave her home. She knew the bounds of her role when she accepted it, and tears do not change facts, no matter what quantity they fall in. No, the tears fall because the lacrimist is a creature made for weeping. The lacrimist is not the only one who weeps, of course. It would be impossible for anyone to live without mourning. But she is the only one whose tears fall with such focused attention. She is the only one whose tears fall with such weight. Things die every day. People, languages, worlds. Trying to mark those losses, even simply the ones that touch directly on their own lives, would render most people unable to function. Yet the refusal to acknowledge so many disappearances on such a scale is not possible either. Such a refusal would turn the losses into gaping maws, toothed and insatiable, consuming everything around them. 
and so that what is lost may be given its due, and the world still continue about its turning, the lacrimist weeps. She crafts each tear deliberately, water, salt, and memory, and perfect proportions to honor what is gone. She saves each tear that falls. The lacrimist has shelves upon shelves of bottles, her tears held in them, colored glass and plain, faceted and smooth, sun-darkened and ice-clear. She stores them to preserve the memories. She stores them against need. There are truths the lacrimist has always known. The lacrimist has always known. The dead will arrive at her house so that she can mourn them. Her mourning preserves their memories. Those outside of her house who wish to remember those losses may travel to her at any time and ask for those memories. All of these things are true, and yet no one living thing has ever come to the lacrimist's house. Hers is the only hand that has touched all of her jars of tears, so carefully collected, so diligently stored. The lacrimist's house haunts her. It generates new rooms at its own need and subtracts others whose use has fallen away. She is constantly moving through strange hallways like some inverse of a ghost, hers the only heartbeat among what were once so many. Yet such a strange and ever-shifting existence is necessary, for it is a condition of her mourning that the lacrimist maintain proximity with what is lost. There must be a connection of some sort. There must be a reason for the lacrimist to mourn. And so they come here, all of them, the lost and the dead and the disappeared, the shades and memories and fading voices. They come here, and they stay. The lacrimist doesn't mind these presences. They allow her to pretend that she is not alone. And most of the residents of the lacrimist's house adjust quite well to their change in circumstances. Things are not ideal, it is true, but they are mourned, and in the morning they are remembered. For most, this is enough. The dead are still almost fully formed when they arrive at the lacrimist's house. Dead languages whisper poetry in long hallways where dead poets stop to linger. Viewed slantwise, the scene is near lifelike. But even in the lacrimist's house, nothing lasts forever. The dead fade, more and more the longer they stay. Not into nothing. What is remembered is never gone. But they lose bits and pieces of themselves. A poem becomes a verse, becomes a broken line. A poet becomes a shadow, with no heart left to beat in iams. They dissolve into fragments, into dust, and into the memories held in a bottle of tears. The poet comes to her one day when the lacrimist is collecting her tears. I would rather, he says, be forgot. The lacrimist places a stopper in an amber glass apothecary jar. These particular tears were shed for a delicate loss, a fragile memory, and she takes care that harsh lights will not fade them. She sets the jar on a shelf near other similar tears. That is not up to me, 
A shadow separates itself from a wall and moves closer. Isn't it? You are the one who causes us to be remembered. I am only who I am, the lacrimist says. I cannot be other than my nature. She turns away from the distraction to continue walking her house. I wonder, the poet says, he does not follow. Days pass, and the lacrimist still thinks of that shadowed voice. She finds it strange to be so haunted by a memory. She carries so many that she usually lives them as a blur, not as specifics. The lacrimist wishes that this particular memory was not so uncomfortable for her, that it would quiet itself. She considers what it would mean to forget one of the residents of her house. She does not bring them here. They arrive. She weeps, yes, and she gathers her tears, but those are merely the tangible symbols of her purpose. The memory is there, as is the morning. She can undo neither. She would not even know how. Dust falls softly, coating everything but the jars of the lacrimist's tears. They remain pristine, as if she has just now sealed them and placed them on the shelf. Time is not allowed to touch them as it is the other things in the lacrimist's house. They are meant to be separate, unblurred by the passing hours. The lacrimist's memories are meant to remain as they were at the moment her tears were shed. The lacrimist's footsteps leave marks in the dust, brief ones that begin filling and smoothing over as soon as her feet leave the ground. She does not always weep. Now in this cool gray hour, she walks and she watches. There are worlds gathered in her house, and words that are spoken nowhere else. She has wept for all those who lived in those worlds and spoke those words, but she can no longer find those people in her hallways and corridors. They fade, smoothed over by the dust of time, until their shapes are unrecognizable, until they no longer remember themselves. But they are here. They do not leave. She remembers them. The lacrimist's hands flutter over jars of tears like pale birds. The poet's memory is here, stored. Perhaps if she finds it, she will understand. The entire purpose of this place, of her, is memorial. What can it mean to wish to undo that? She finds the bottle. The glass is thick, frosted, a pleasing weight in her hand. She unstoppers the jar and breathes in the memory. No tears fall from the lacrimist's eyes. His is a loss that is striking only in its ordinariness. There is nothing so terrible about it as to make clear why he would wish to be forgotten. She weeps over worse every day. But it is mine. His voice more faded this time, a whisper now louder than the rustle of dust falling. Memory holds us here, keeps us prisoner. I would go. The lacrimist considers. 
You know this cannot be undone. But I already have been. His shadow is no longer substantial enough to bear even the weight of tears, and so the lacrimist pours the bottle out herself. By the time it empties, he is gone. One day the lacrimist will weep for herself. She will gather her tears in a jar, close the lid, and set it on a shelf where the dust of time will never touch it. One day that jar of tears will be all of her that remains. She does not know whether it will be enough, but she will weep anyway. Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki narrating The Lacrimist by Cat Howard. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2020 by Lightspeed Magazine. Our podcasts this month are brought to you by John Joseph Adams' books from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, whose feature title is The Conductors, the debut novel by Nicole Glover. That book is forthcoming in March of 2021, but you can get a sneak preview in this month's ebook edition of Lightspeed. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage, at lightspeedmagazine.com/slash support. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. We'll see you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.